It's a joy to be back with you again today and to bring us into the presence of God's Word. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 16, so I invite you to go ahead and be turning there. Um, Just uh, as a little personal note, I was in Denver, Colorado this past week with RUF staff training. It's a time when basically everyone who works for RUF comes together. And during that time, we have the opportunity to learn from people. They will have different people come in to teach um, us. We also get to be a part of helping to teach others. Like I got to teach interns about how to lead a small group Bible study. Uh, But one of the big things for me is that whenever that training week comes, it's always a time that that begins to shift my focus back towards the upcoming semester and back towards the campus. And so in my heart and in my mind, there's this gearing up that's going on. And I would just ask that y'all would be praying for me and for the upcoming semester as classes will start August 21st, but pretty much starting August 14th, I'm going to be hitting it hard on campus trying to reach out to the new students. So I'd really value and appreciate y'all's prayers for that upcoming time. All right. So today, we are looking at a passage that deals with hunger. A few weeks ago, in Rome, Georgia, police were called out to a business. It was about 2 a.m., and when they got to the business, they found that someone had broken into it. And they caught a woman in the business, in the midst of her crime, and they arrested her. But what was she doing in that business? She was making a salad. She had broken into a restaurant in her hunger and decided to make herself a salad. And so she opened up different containers and pulled out different ingredients and made herself what I hope was a good salad because they charged her with theft of over $500, which is a really expensive salad. (laughs) But it's because every time she opened up one of those containers and touched it with her bare hands, all that food would then have to be thrown away. Now, if I were to break into a restaurant, I'm going for the steak, not the salad. But what would lead her to do that? There was a a hunger that she felt where it seemed to, in the moment, make sense to break in, to satisfy that craving. Now, I think all of us realize that if we lived our life like that, then it wouldn't be good. If we lived our life constantly thinking, what's the easiest or the the quickest way that I could satisfy my cravings, my hunger? I think we all know that would not be good for us. But how is it that we live with desires in a way that they don't run our life? This passage deals with hunger by helping us to see through this passage the way that God invites his people to learn to have that hunger satisfied through him. The outline as we look at this passage today is grumbling, glory, and grace. Grumbling, glory, and grace. But now let me read for us Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1 and reading through verse 30. They set out from Elam, And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, 
on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. 
On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. It's right for us to pause and ask him to help us to understand it. Please pray with me in your hearts. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to remember and to experience how your word feeds our souls. And we pray that through your word and through your spirit, we will find the fullness that comes from you. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So the passage that I read for you today, uh, you may know, you may not know, but it, it happens after the great miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea. In fact, it's about six weeks after that happened that uh, the people of Israel are in this passage grumbling against God. It's only six weeks after they've seen the, the dramatic rescue where the army of Pharaoh was chasing them into the wilderness, trying to capture them and bring them back into slavery. And they hit the Red Sea and God miraculously spreads the water so that they walk across on dry land and then also miraculously closes it back up over the armies of Pharaoh, rescuing his people. It's just been six weeks since then. And yet here we see the people grumbling. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Where you bought something and you're like, was that the right decision? Was that the, the best car, the best computer, the best outfit? What we see in this passage is Israel in a sense having salvation remorse. Here, as they are in the wilderness, here after the great rescue of the Red Sea, here they find themselves in a situation where they wonder, did we go with the right God? Was it right for us to follow God and Moses and Aaron, his leaders, out here into the wilderness? But why is it that they're beginning to regret that decision? Why do they have salvation remorse? It's because here in the wilderness, they're lacking food. It's the wilderness. There's not Kroger or Harris Teeter or Publix for them to go and get food. There's not crops that are ready for them to harvest. They would have had some cattle with them, but they wouldn't want to kill the cattle because that was the foundation that they were going to use to, to build their future in the promised land. But here they were in the wilderness feeling hungry. And because they felt hungry, they began to think, we made the wrong decision to come out here. Look down in the text. We see it as it says in verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now notice the whole congregation is grumbling. This isn't just one little uh, grumbling group, but the whole congregation is grumbling. And why are they grumbling? Verse 3 says, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Perhaps you've heard the phrase hangry. 
When you're hungry and angry, perhaps you've been hangry. Maybe you're hangry right now, ready to be done with church and go get something to eat. But this is the clearest picture of hangry you can find in the Bible. Here the people of Israel were so hungry that they had become angry at God. So hungry that they were thinking about God in quite a shocking way. Did you hear what they said? They thought that God had brought them out into the wilderness to starve them, to kill them in the wilderness by hunger. Now think about how how shocking that would be if God had just dramatically rescued them from Pharaoh's armies with the, the remarkable miracle of the Red Sea. And here, six weeks later, they're like, well, he must have done that just so that he could kill us by starving us. Think about how that communicates the character of God that they must think and see in him. That he's cruel and vindictive. The people of Israel in this moment are having deep sense of regret that they left Egypt to follow after God. And that's what they even say, at least back in serving under Pharaoh as his slaves. He may have been cruel, but at least we weren't hungry. He may have made us work long hours, but at least our bellies were full. The people of Israel were regretting that they were serving God instead of serving Pharaoh. And when the going got tough, the Israelites got grumbling. And that word grumbling, when, when I hear it, what comes to my mind is, is the way that sometimes we have these little bit of complaints, like when you're in the, the checkout line and it's 10 items in, or less, but the person definitely doesn't have just 10 items. They have 20 items and you grumble like, Ugh, didn't they read the sign? They're slowing us all down. Or you think about a, a child who doesn't want to eat their veggies and they grumble about the things that their mom or dad made that night. But the grumbling here isn't just that sense of mild frustration about circumstances. If you notice when it talks about grumbling, it says they grumble against Moses or Aaron because what the text is trying to bring out in the original Hebrew is the idea that this grumbling was really more of a rebellious heart. That the grumbling that they are doing here is really a rejection of Moses and Aaron and a rejection through God's appointed leaders of God's rule. The people, when they are grumbling here, are saying that we want to be done with God. Now, throughout the book of Exodus, there's this question that is constantly being brought up. Who will you serve? Who will you serve? Will you serve God or will you serve Pharaoh? Who will you serve? And hear what the Israelites are doing. Are saying, we want to serve Pharaoh because we can depend on him to take care of our hunger. As opposed to serving God who has brought us out of slavery to freedom. I want you to see this because this is an important way to understand what happens, I think, for a lot of us. 
You see, a lot of us experience in our life certain needs or certain desires. And when those desires or needs are not met, what begins to happen into our hearts is what we see in this passage. We begin to grumble. We begin to grumble. We begin to grumble against whatever we think is, is blocking us or preventing us from having that which we desire so that we can do this at work. We can grumble about how much they pay us when they're making us work these long hours. We can do this in our, our role as citizens, looking at the government and what we think they should be doing or giving to us. And when they aren't, we grumble against them and we begin to wonder, do we need to vote them out and vote someone else new in? But we also do this in our relationship with God. When God doesn't give us what we think we need, when God doesn't give us what we think we want, we begin to grumble against him. And this can happen in small, subtle ways. That that when God isn't giving you what you've been praying for, you may begin to get slower and slower in your prayer. Because to come to him and to be close to him and to not have what you think you need can feel like, You're being around someone who's being cruel. And so you begin to slow down in your prayer. Perhaps you begin to slow down in in time of, of communion with him and his word. Or even you may begin to slow down in coming to worship on Sundays. I've seen it. Seen friends who, because God didn't give them the things that they wanted, they began to slowly drift away from Christianity. And the heart of what causes us to pull back from God is that heart of grumbling that says, because you aren't giving me what I desire, I don't want to serve you anymore. And so that can kind of shape the whole of our relationship with God, but it can even shape it just in small parts. Because the heart of all of our sins is a heart of grumbling. The heart of all of our sins is a heart of grumbling that says, God, here in this part of my life, you're not going to provide, and so I'm going to rebel. Maybe in this part I won't, but here where you are not providing for me, I'm going to rebel. Because you aren't giving me the money that I need. I'm going to rebel in little ways by by cheating on my taxes or by feeling like it's okay to, to fudge numbers. You're not providing for me, so I have to provide for myself. In small ways, we'll we'll tell ourselves that this sin is okay because God isn't caring for us in that spot of our life. The heart of sin starts with grumbling, saying, here God is being cruel. Here God isn't paying attention to my need. Here God isn't addressing my desire. And because he's not, I will. You see, that's what the Israelites were experiencing in this moment. God is not going to take care of us. He doesn't see our hunger. He doesn't realize the emptiness of our bellies. And so since he will not take care of us, we will. They longed for the dependency of slavery to Pharaoh in the way that at least they would have full bellies as opposed to having to depend upon this God who seemed like he didn't care. We grumble because we don't believe that God is good. We don't believe that he really is going to care for us. We don't trust him to give us what we need. And so we would rather trust ourselves to get it. 
And God sees this in the hearts of the Israelites. And so he wants to reveal it to them so that instead of living a life where they are constantly in this pattern of grumbling and rebellion, that they come to rest in him. And so what he does is he gives them in this chapter the thing that they needed more than food in their bellies so that they would have a transformation that can only come through what he can provide. He gives them the greater gift of his glory. Now, dealing with college students, as you can imagine, one of the topics that often comes up is dating. It's, it's a hazard of my job that that's a constant conversation. And because of that, after doing this for 19 years, I've come up with some basic things that are easy and quick to communicate to students, but really get to the heart of the issue. And when I'm talking to them about dating, um, I'll, I'll tell students, all right, first, here's the blank uh, rule that no matter what, you've got to follow. And that's that you have to, to marry a Christian. That's, that's in the Bible. Do not be unequally yoked. After that, it's a lot of wisdom that's involved. And so you have to think about your dating through a, a, a lens of what is it that is wise dating? What is it that I need to look for? And then I, I run through a list of things to look for. But the very first thing that I tell them that you're looking for, the most important thing that you want to find out is character. What is the character of this person? And I say that dating often puts the, the shoe on the wrong foot there because a lot of times when we're dating, we're having fun, we're going out. And that has to deal more with like compatibility or attractiveness or, or you know, their personality. But you often don't get to see their character just on a fun Friday night. But what you have to do is see who they are. And the way that you often see who they are doesn't come in the good times, but in the hard times. It doesn't come when they're having fun, but it comes when they're under pressure. And what God does in this passage is he wants to put Israel in a place where their character comes out. This is what God says he's doing. Look at verse 4. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now there, when God is talking about testing the people of Israel, it's easy for us to think about testing in the way that we do academically, like the, the teachers trying to find out, well, did you study or not? The teachers trying to understand your knowledge. But God isn't needing to find out anything about the Israelites. He knows their hearts. He's the omnipotent, sovereign, omniscient God. He knows everything about these individuals in this congregation of Israel. His test is not about finding out something about Israel. His test is about helping Israel to find out about themselves. And what he wants the people of Israel to see is the nature of their hearts, the character of their hearts, that they don't trust him. That they don't believe that he's good. He wants to reveal to them their hearts so that he can address the hole that exists in their soul. 
Their hearts that lead them to grumble doesn't believe that God is good. And he wants them to see that hunger so that it can satisfy that deeper hunger and come to believe that God is good. And so he tells Moses that he's going to send bread, the manna that comes from heaven. But he does this to test them so that they begin to look at God with a different eye, that they begin to understand his character, so they begin to understand who it is that they are following. And the way that he even describes what he's doing to Moses is to parallel what it is that they were grumbling about. What is it that they grumbled about? They said, at least when we were under Pharaoh, what did he give us? He gave us pots of meat so that we were full and, and bread until we were full. But what does God say he's going to do? He says, I am going to bring you meat. I am going to bring you bread. He's going to provide for them bread. He's going to provide for them meat. But he does something before he fills their bellies that is important to realize. Before he gives them the meat, before he gives them the bread, he shows them his glory. He shows them who he is. And I think that that's important to realize because that deals with the question of how it is that we can live in a world where we don't always get what we want and not turn our hearts towards grumbling. It's how we can deal with the, the nature of our hearts that says God must not be good here when the circumstances of our desires say that he's forgotten us. Before God gives them food, he gives them his glory. I think it's interesting to note that this is actually the first time in the Bible where that phrase, the glory of the Lord, appears. The first time that we actually hear that description of phrase, the glory of the Lord. And when does it happen? Does it happen when the people of Israel are on their best behavior? Does it happen when the people of Israel have... have prayed that they'd see the glory, when they've worked and, and dedicated the temple, when they've done remarkable things for God in terms of victories against the, the evil people that were surrounding him? When is it that God's glory is first mentioned and seen in this remarkable way? It's when they grumble. And that speaks to the nature of God's grace, that, that here he sees what is the root cause of that sin. And he doesn't respond by saying, I'm going to smite you or strike you or be done with you. But he says, these people have a really big need. And because they have a really big need, I need to show them myself. God, in his compassion, sees that what is at the heart of this grumbling it's a lack of knowledge of who he is. And so, yes, he's going to feed them, but before he does, he wants to show them himself. And so look down at what Moses says. In verse 6, he says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? 
Do you hear what Moses does there? In talking about the evening time when the meat is going to show up, does he talk about the meat? No. He says, in the meat, what do you see? You see that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning when that manna appears on the ground, what do you see? Don't just see the manna, but see through that to the glory of the Lord. Moses is wanting them to understand that that, that meat in that manna means so much more than full bellies. That that meat and that manna speak back to them the nature of their God, speak back to them the character of their God. That their God is so different than Pharaoh. Pharaoh filled their bellies at night after they had put in a full day of work. Pharaoh filled them up with bread as long as they were willing to fill his silos with grain and his temples with brick. Pharaoh would give to them after they had served him. But the nature of this God is different. That when they were rebelling, when they were grumbling, when they were ready to walk away, he provides abundantly. And Moses wants them to see in this test their own hearts that they would rather serve Pharaoh who demanded before he gave than the good God who gives even to those who grumble. And then we see that God himself doesn't just communicate this idea but he does something more. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. God didn't just give them an idea saying that I'm glorious, but he actually shows up. He shows up so that they can see with their own eyes the glory of the Lord. And he does it, as he says, despite their grumbling or even because of their grumbling. All they could feel was the hunger in their bellies, but he knew that they needed to see his glory so that they could be satisfied in a deeper way. Before God gives them food, he gives them himself because that is what their hunger more deeply needed they could have filled their bellies for a moment but there would have been a deeper hole in their soul that would have been longing for more and what our hungry hearts need food can never satisfy a box full of donuts a maxed out 401k, the perfect house, the perfect spouse, the perfect children, the perfect life, the perfect body, all those things can never satisfy what our hearts most deeply need. 
And God knows that that's the case for the Israelites. And so he wants to hold to them first what they need the most, himself, his glory, so that they would learn to see that is what will really satisfy. And yes, he does care for their hunger, and yes, he does provide meat and bread, but he wants to start first with what they need most, his glory. Now, this is what we need to remember, too, because a lot of time what drives us is that sense of, of here, if God can just take care of this need, then I can get back to seeing his glory. If God can just get me through this season, then I'll get back to worship. I'll get back to feeling close to him. If he can just take care of this problem, then I can feel close to him again. But what we're doing is we're putting the wrong order in place, saying that we need this need addressed first before I can see God's glory and be satisfied. But what God wants us to realize is that when we see his glory and are satisfied, that need doesn't feel as weighty. That need doesn't seem as important. And in fact, what can happen is that very need can be an invitation. An invitation to feel that need and to see God's glory. You see, the things that we are most anxious in our life, we often think are signs that God is against us or that God is not with us. But really what those places of deep anxiety are in our life are invitations invitations by God to say, do you believe that I am more glorious than this? Do you believe that in my goodness I am more glorious than that? Do you believe that in this situation that my presence is enough? Because that's what God wants for us. God wants us to see that when we are in the midst of a cancer diagnosis, he is with us and he is enough. That we're in the midst of a financial crisis, that he is with us and that he is enough. That when our life seems to be going off the rails, that he is with us and that he is enough. You cannot realize that God is all you need until you realize that God is all you have. When we grumble, we think that we are alone. But when we see God's glory is with us, we realize that we will never be alone. And this is what God wanted the people of Israel to realize. He had taken them out of Egypt, but he had to get Egypt out of them. They had learned to live in this sense of, I have to keep myself full by serving Pharaoh. And he wanted them to learn the beauty of resting in his goodness and glory. 
And so he brought them to this place of hunger in their bellies to invite them to see his glory and his goodness so that it would deeply satisfy them. But the beautiful thing is that Israel learned their lesson, right? No. They didn't learn their lesson. It's interesting to think about the fact that God fed them day in, day out for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And you'd think they would learn their lesson. They actually took some of the manna and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant so that it would be a constant reminder to them of how God provided them for what they needed through manna. And you'd think they'd learn their lesson. But you know, the crazy thing is if you go and look in the Gospels, around the only miracle that occurs in all four Gospels, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, the people of Israel, after receiving the bread from heaven that comes from Jesus, they think, this is nice. This guy provides for us. And so what they do is they begin to try to take Jesus and make him king by force because they think that here we can control our hunger by having this guy give us food whenever we want, bread whenever we want. And Jesus sees this same heart of grumbling and distrust of God. And so he says this to them in John chapter 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw this sign, but because you ate your fill of the bread and the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for a food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So they said to them, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You hear that same heart, don't you? They were grumbling. They were wanting Jesus to give them bread and wanted to be able to trust in that bread, the physical bread. And what Jesus says is, no, you don't want that bread, the one that fills your belly. There's something so much better right here in front of you. The presence of the glory of God, veiled in flesh in Jesus, but yet God himself incarnate with them. They say, give us this physical bread always. And Jesus says, no, I am the bread that is always with you. Don't think that that bread will satisfy. But see that this bread will satisfy. And do you know what happened after that? They grumbled. They grumbled. Because they just didn't think Jesus and his presence was enough. But what Jesus was trying to teach them is the beauty that God always shows up and provides out of himself. He is the bread of life who came down from heaven to satisfy his people. 
so that they shall not hunger nor thirst. He is the one that comes into the holes in our hearts that are longing to be filled and says, I'm not going to fill them with stuff. I'm going to fill them with myself. God always provides out of himself. When we grumble, it is us looking at our circumstances and saying, I have to provide out of my sacrifice. I have to work harder. I have to do more. I have to figure this out. When we grumble, we think that we have to provide for ourselves, And that always leads to hearts that are unresting. But when we see God's glory and his grace and his goodness, it invites us to not see that we have to provide for ourselves, but to see that God always provides out of himself the bread of heaven who was broken, that we would be full in him. Which is why we see in this passage, God wants the people to rest. He requires them to not collect on the, the seventh day, not just out of some sort of random rule, but so that they would realize when you see and understand that I provide for you, when you see and understand the way that I give to you out of myself, that gives you the ability to live a life of rest. To not wonder, is God going to provide enough for me? Is God with me? But we can actually have a day where no manna shows up, but we know that we are still full because we know that the next day is going to be there. And that the day before, he gave us more than enough to last through that season where he didn't provide. God wants his people to have hearts that rest. And so he gives us his glory to do that. You know, that's why we worship on our day of rest. <laughs> because we need to see God's glory to really bring our hearts to rest. And we gather here today to remind ourselves of his goodness and his grace and his glory so that tomorrow when the anxiety and stresses of life begin to rear their ugly head, we saw what we needed to see first, his glory. So that those other needs don't feel as weighty. Those other needs don't feel like God has abandoned us. But those other needs become opportunities, invitations to see how God's glory will show up. Grace alone satisfies our hungry souls. And we only see it when we see God's glory. But when we see it, that enables our hearts to rest because we know we have a Father who cares for us, a God who provides for us and who doesn't just give us what we need to fill our bellies, but gives us himself so that we know that he is always with us and always for us, that we may feed on him, the eternal God, and be eternally satisfied. Let us pray. Our good God, we thank you for the nature of your grace and your faithfulness and the way that you give us more than we could ever need 
by giving us yourself. Help us in the moments of anxiety and longing to find restful hearts in you. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.